Goodbye, prince, magical vegan, who said, I'm not a woman, I'm not a man, I'm something you'll never understand. Rest in peace, sir. Sagittarian matters, Sagittarian matters, what's the This week on Sagittarian Matters, I am over the moon to present my interview with Phoebe Gleckner. Stay tuned. Phoebe Gleckner is one of my biggest influences in comics. Her very raw and beautiful books, A Child's Life and Diary of a Teenage Girl, changed my life, blew my mind, and redrew the limits of what you can do with memory and graphic narrative. Phoebe is trained as a medical illustrator. She's been making comics for over 30 years, and she is a professor. In this interview, we discuss her current focus, a multimedia project about the murders in Juarez, Mexico, for which she was awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship, the movie version of Diary of a Teenage Girl, and more. I also feel like I got a little bit raw with her, about being an autobiographical cartoonist and how it feels to put vulnerable work out there and then still have to live in your own skin. So I hope you enjoy. So I am here at Mocha with Phoebe Gleckner. I'm laying in your bed while you are vaping on a USB port. One is menthol and the other one is plain tobacco flavors. I've got one in each hand. (laughs) And coffee. And I'm so happy to be recumbent with you. This is nice. It's a pleasure. Yeah. The pleasure is mine. This is like my dream. It is dreamy. I was like, what if we could just lay in a bed and talk? That would be so cool. And here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Okay. Jumping in. Some things I might ask you, you may feel like you're repeating yourself because you said them yesterday. But, um, and because I'm repetitious. Or maybe, yeah, but to me it's like, I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I'm excited to have it on tape so that other people can hear it. Because some of these things I feel like are once-in-a-lifetime events. Like getting, you know, like getting to like, for us to like talk at that thing in Chicago. Sure, like the students in Chicago got to see that. But then, right. but then what? It disappeared. There's yeah. nothing. Yeah. I have a hard time with that. With yeah. ephemeral kind of things like that. Yeah, it's like losing your mother or something. It's like... You know, it meant something to you, and it was significant, but it's gone. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 I, I'm i a little bit of a hoarder. I, th- I think that somebody asked yesterday, I did this panel about autobiographical comics. Oh, yeah, yeah. And somebody asked it, the question, they posed the question, do we all have bad memories, and are we, like, attempting to, you know, keep diaries or keep comics or publish things to, like, prove that something existed or prove it was there or I if I sometimes I use it as like an external hard drive mm-hmm. for my own memory because my own memory is gone and now sometimes comics that I've drawn about events have replaced my memories mm-hmm. of those events mm-hmm. does that happen to you sorry oh no I think well memory I mean memory is mutable it's constantly changing as you observe by remembering the comics instead of the actual memory but the reason why we remember some things and not others is because they have importance to us, right? Yeah. So I think after a number of years, 
what you're really remembering or holding on to is this kind of distillation of an event that represents some emotion or some confusion. And the other parts, you know, you can argue with people, well, we were both there. You and me were there, but we'll each remember differently the environment. We'll mm -hmm. remember what was said, we'll remember that exchange. But the other things of importance will be different to us. Yeah. I don't know, like The Diary yeah. of a Teenage Girl, you know that yeah. book? Okay, so there was um, a character in it whose name was uh, Ricky Wasserman, and he was a rich kid, okay? And he was actually based on a real person that I knew. Um, but in making that book, you know, I kind of had to destroy actual memory and put it back together in a way that it had a narrative structure and everything, okay? Yeah. So he was actually, you know, I, there was a party at one time in the book. I don't even remember when. And I later I saw Ricky for the first time, the real person who lives in New York. I saw him for the first time, like 30 years after the fact. And he had read the book. And he said, you know, it was amazing. You really captured that time. It was just as I remembered. And I remember that party. You did it perfectly. And you know what? He was not at that party. I had combined his character with someone else. Yeah. In, in our, I mean, in general, but he was remembering it as being very specific. It was as if, because a lot of the other things in the context were things that he did remember. Wow. That everything became the truth. So his mind just like um, rounded up to, yeah. yeah, that must have happened. Yeah, right. That's so crazy. Right. Did did I, did anyone challenge your accuracy about that book? No. That's cool. Yeah. That's nice of them. Um I so I did this this book that, you know, is like about our family secrets and these like traumatic things that happen in our family. And my sisters found it very validating and like a thing that they could show because they would tell people about our family and people would be like, That's too crazy, that couldn't have happened. And then my sisters, like, making this printed product made it so that they had evidence that they could show other people and be like, no, this, this is real. Right. I mean, some of, and some, of the, some of the things that I had written were based off of their testimony or were, like, conglomerations of things. But, yeah, no, nobody challenged it. I mean, my mom challenged my perspective a little bit. She gave me a one-star Amazon review. But, oh, yeah, you know, that's yeah. what I, I, that was fine. That's what I, I well, I don't think my mother has actually read the book, so. It seems for the best. When, when we talked at the University of Chicago, you were talking about a, a student, I think, in the audience asked you about your Juarez project and asked you why you decided to do the um, dolls mm -hmm. instead of comics. Can okay. you talk about why you decided? And you kind of talked about like, but you were, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck it up, but you were, wanted, you were talking about how when you draw something, like you would draw them in these situations and then you would just leave them there and they would exist in that drawing forever. Right. But if it was dolls, it felt different. Yeah. Can you talk about that? I've devoted the last 10 years of my life almost exclusively to one project. And that project had its beginnings in Juarez, Mexico. Um, enough said. Okay, so much of the material that I've encountered or experienced in Juarez over these last 10 years has been violent. Um, 
when it first started, I was researching uh, the murders of some teenagers, and for the most part, they were sexual murders and things that are very scary, you know, when you're trying to sleep. And I started drawing these things because I guess it's just my way. I, I don't think I would do a story, for example, where a rape occurred and not show the rape. I think many people would just imply it, but I would always show it because it kind of, in a sense, it honored the experience of the victim and, well, perhaps exposing the perpetrator as well. But I don't see any shame in being hurt. So I I didn't want to protect that event. So anyway, so I was drawing certain things, scenes of violence, and um if you're drawing something and you don't have any reference for it or very little um, in a comic, you nevertheless have to repeatedly draw the same thing from different perspectives or things move and you have to make sure you're getting that right. Um, But anyway, your brain is working very hard to visualize things, expressions, positions from different perspectives. So it's your brain is just cranking like a 3D modeling program trying to get different perspectives and draw them and translate them onto the page. And doing that with like rape scenes or or murder scenes was very taxing after a while. I you are literally committing the crime and experiencing it at the same time. It kind of lingered too long in my head and I felt like I was lost, let's say. Um, And I was kind of paralyzed by that experience because it was so unpleasant that it it made it difficult to zoom out and understand what I was trying to do in the first place. So I just suddenly had this idea, well, uh, I'll just take pictures of dolls. It'll be quicker. And as a matter of fact, it serves a second purpose, that being, well, I could bloody up the dolls and kill them and rape them and then the next day clean them all up and they'll be alive again and happy. Um, So I guess it was kind of this fetishist, I mean, that's not the word, it was kind of a self-protective symbolic thing for me where I felt like I had more power over the world to make it better, at least better enough for me to continue. Um, And so I guess I started doing this. I was using dolls that already existed at first, but then I realized they didn't look right and I had to make the dolls and learn how to sew and learn how to build sets and everything else. And so rather than taking a shorter time, it it actually took much longer than drawing, but that's how I began it. And that's how I continued it. And now there's another benefit to it because I don't live in Mexico. Um, I live near Detroit, and there is no desert there, but there is a desert in my attic. It's like sand. The floor is covered with sand, and there's little buildings there and a little neighborhood. And I go up there, and I sit there on the sand, and I feel like I'm in Mexico, right where I want to be. So 
that's been very helpful to me. <laughs> Where do you stay when you go to Mexico? I stay, it depends. Sometimes I stay in the neighborhood I'm writing about called, it's called Anapra. It's in the upper west, the northwest corner of Juarez, right near the border. Um, and I stayed with a friend there, Estela Guzman Huerta. And, um, and, and she is actually, I mean, related to the story. Um, other times I'll stay in a hotel if I'm traveling with someone else and it, there's not enough room, you know. Mm -hmm. It just really depends what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you get your head out of it when you're writing about something hard or drawing about something hard or like, you know, like when you go into that zone, you're yeah. like, I'm depicting a murder all day. Yeah. You know, how do you get out of that? Like, I kind of feel like at a time, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings. Did you see those movies? Uh, yeah, and I read the books. But, I mean, I saw the movies a long time ago. But I, I felt like, like, like writing hard scenes sometimes I feel like it's like putting on the ring. Mm -hmm. Like you put it on, and you're like, it's like, whoa, 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 and you're just like in a cloud of it. Yeah, yeah. And then coming out of that, sometimes like, like say, like you know, like then like your kids come home and they're like, hey, mom, like I need snack, and then you have to come downstairs and you're like, you yeah. know, like half your brain is still, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. and then you're kind of like, oh, I'm not in Mexico, I'm yeah, yeah, home. Like, so how would I get out of it? How do you do? Do you get out of it, or does it take you a while, or what? Um, it's a really good question. I mean, I work best if I don't have to get out of it. If I can kind of have, like, endless time to, like, kind of work through it or come to some conclusion at that point in the story. But, of course, you can't always do that. Um, I think, in general, though, it's not so much a matter of getting out of it, but realizing what death is um, and seeing some beauty in that and some mystery in it, which brings it more to a spiritual level rather than just, you know, a, a horrible end. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've looked at so many pictures of death, which at first were hideous and shocking and upsetting. But now when I look at pictures of death, I look at them for the beauty in them. Um, or the pathos in them. I look at them differently. Um, and it's funny, I know other people don't have that response. It's like I was giving a talk to a class a, a few weeks ago, and I was showing pictures, and someone asked me a question, and a particular picture was left on the screen. And after a minute, the teacher came up to me and said, a few of the students are upset by that picture. Could you please just change the slide? It, where it wouldn't have occurred to me because I, I, I feel like I forget that other people don't have that same relationship to the material. What was the picture? It was a dead man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, shot in the head or something. Um, and the other thing, it's like, yeah, I don't want to die. I don't want anyone to die that I know. But, you know, we didn't know what happened before we were born. We didn't have any control over whether or not we were born. And we just go back into that same thing we don't know. You know, it's just the other end of life. I mean, you know, life wouldn't be so beautiful and <laughs> precious to us if, if we didn't die. I mean, living forever would be 
probably pretty dull. You have nothing to lose. It's like, you know. So anyway, I, I guess I just basically heal myself from the pain of dealing with these things by seeing it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Sometimes I think about if I want to be immortal, like at what point would that get old? Yeah. Like at what point into your immortality we'd be like, I'm tired. I'm just really tired. Yeah. Did you ever, this is, this would be too much. Did you ever want to kill yourself? Like when you were a kid, like, you know, like moments where you're like, this is, I'm done. Like I'm good. Like it's too much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, certainly I've had those thoughts. Um, but I don't think I ever would kill myself yeah. on purpose. I mean, I used to do things that were very dangerous. Mm-hmm. That would put me in, put me in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like, it was just like exposing myself to fate. Like, go ahead, take me. But I wouldn't do it myself. Mm-hmm. And then fate wouldn't do it for you because you were supposed to be here. Ex- sitting in this bed. With you. Taping a podcast with me. Yes. <laughs> um, when we... I'm sorry if that question's too dark because we don't know each other that well. That question you just asked? Yeah. I just thought, I just was like, oh. No, but I thought it was going to lead to you telling me. Oh, Sure. Okay. Oh, sure. Well, I can tell Which you. Which is why yeah, you might have we asked can change. Well, yeah. No, you know what? I actually was just standing next to... it. Just Suicide is very topical. Mm-hmm. I was just standing next to a friend at my table who literally just told me right now, oh, I wanted to kill myself at this point in time, you know, like 15 years ago, and I actually was about to leave the house to do it. And then this person who just walked up to our comics table stopped me and said, hey, where are you going? Sit with me. Let's talk for a second. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't do it. Um, and then I thought about it, and I... I was just, I wrote a thing. I have this book coming out in a year, and I wrote this thing about wanting to kill myself at that point in my early 20s. Uh-huh. And having that thing of like, like walking kind of into traffic and being like, what? Just fucking kill me. Like, what? Right. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Sure. Do it. Fine. You know? Or like going over, like, I have to go over this bridge because I usually live in Portland, and like riding my bike over this bridge every day and just feeling like that weird, like, unwanted thought syndrome of just like, like I could just like pull my bike handlebars to the right. And just, that would be it. Mm-hmm. And there's something very satisfying thinking about just, like, hitting the water. And then, like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't do it. Because I just, I have this, like, fucking internal babysitter that I, and this is what, this is completely my own trip. But I think, right. you know, I grew up in a pretty neglectful kind of fucked up household. And I think I had to grow, like, an internal babysitter to survive. Yeah. And even though I was, like, a little bit feral, right. that just happened. So I think that still kicks in. Yeah. Where there's still, like, a separate part of me that's like, eh, like, don't do that. That's not what we do. Right. We do this. Yeah. And, of course, most people do have that internal babysitter, whether it's one they had to in- invent or voices that were recorded when they were very young, like people who cared for them, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, you're lucky. You're able to reconstruct that for yourself. Yeah. Reconstruct it for yourself, yeah. If, sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes I'm just like, ugh. It's like, isn't there someone else in charge who's going to, like, walk in and just deal with everything for me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. No. The answer is no. Right. Yeah. But question off of the... Oh, but, oh I was going to ask you, too, because I... Okay, so I'm working... So I did this one book, and it's about family trauma. Mm-hmm. And then I'm working on another book, and it's, it's like a little bit of coming-of-age story and has a dog in it. And But there's more trauma. There's more, like, me having bad romantic decisions or, like, wanting to kill myself or, like, being a neglected child. And at some point I started to work, I was like, because I'm having this experience with my book coming out where people will read it and then I will feel their pity for a minute. 
Yeah, I hate like, that. Like, do you feel that sometimes when people read your book? Uh, or your, your work, see your work, and then, like, you can, like, they're like, oh. Yeah. I have felt that, and it's the last thing I want. I'm happier when they read something I wrote, and it helps them see their own pain, and they feel, by having that reflected, they feel understood. And so it kind of, it, it turns back to them. Because, I mean, the relationship of the reader to the book has so much to do with their own experience. Mm-hmm. So really, it shouldn't be a matter of whether it's about you or not. Yeah. And so, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm never making it for that. Right. I'm not making it. Like when people are like, I want to give you a hug. Right. Because I'm like, that's very nice, but like... Th- that's not why you wrote it. The book right. isn't a cry for help. The book is my art that's yeah. meant for a bigger thing. Right. But you don't say that to them probably because that sounds dismissive. I mean, you have to appreciate their sympathy. Yeah. And you do. I do. I think but, I do but, the I book, don't. but even doing the book is all about sympathy. I mean, it's it's about... I mean... <sighs> How am I trying to say Like, that? I, like, oh my gosh, like, of course I want to live in a world where people read something about me and then want to give me a hug. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's very nice. Like, definitely. And I, and I have friends for that and close friends. But I just, when people pity me or people are like, oh, now I understand why you are the way you are. Because I read this book and I'm psychoanalyzing you, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, but there's a difference between a general readership and the people who actually know you. Mm-hmm. I've found that the people who actually know me will often never read my work. I mean, it's almost, like, too much for them. First of all, it seems like a burden. They're afraid, like, oh, my God, what if I don't like her work? It's mm-hmm. like, I don't even want that to enter into this. Mm-hmm. So they they know me well enough that they don't want to read it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever have that? Not, not as much anymore. And I've found that if I try to date people now, they will get the book. Behind oh my, my back. God. Oh my god. Behind my back, like like without yeah. me, like they'll be like, I just ordered your book, or I just got your book, or I just read your book, and then, but it's and then it, and then it's sometimes it's almost like we have had an intimate experience, like they've had an intimate experience, and with you the book, haven't, and I wasn't there. Yeah, that's exactly what happens to me all the time. If I go out on a date and I meet the person, if I had admitted that my name is Phoebe, there aren't that many Phoebes, and so they just need my first name and the place where we live and. They, it immediately pops up, this is her, mm-hmm. and they get the book and they read it, and then by the time we meet, they feel they know everything about me, and they feel intimate, and I have no idea who they are. And it, it's hard to force someone else to get you up to speed on something intense about them. <laughs> like, yeah. like that, like, I don't know who they are, but they know, or they feel like they know about me, like, I want to be like, well, can you just tell me about, like, the worst story from your childhood or something? But then that seems so inappropriate. Because right. I don't know them. But it, it, it's sad. It makes you feel more isolated somehow. And they don't understand that, I yeah. don't think. You've, yeah. Something is kind of... Yeah, because you are not your work. It's a part of you, but you are not it. Like, there's so much more or different or, like... And they're reading a highly edited thing, too. And I don't know. Right. That's a weird... It's a weird... The pity thing is a weird question I've been thinking of. And then I... You know, I, I generally... I don't think about other people when I'm making my work, you know, in a way that stops me from making it. Mm-hmm. But the idea... I did... I did, when I was working on this book, 
think like, are people just going to think that I'm like eating cigarette butts out of like a gutter and calling it love? And like, that I just like grew up like in a shoebox and like, I just like, I'm like, I'm functioning. Okay. Like everything's okay. But I do want to tell you these painful stories. Yeah. But like, I don't like, there might not be a happy ending and that's okay because I'm more than this. Right. Well, see, I think I separate even further from my work. The only way I could have written it is if, is to have gotten enough distance from it where I can have empathy for the girl or young woman or whatever that I once was. And I don't, I no longer care that it is me, though it is very much me. To me, it becomes any girl or any person, really. And I have love and empathy for them. And therefore, the honesty that I'm able to convey in any story it's for them who and them is this like amorphous audience that you never know whether or not you'll have or who it might be but it's it's kind of like a an affirmation of life for me and I don't care about the me part I don't know do you know what I'm saying yeah do you does it ever feel weird for you to live as a character and then you to live as a human to have like this, um, like avatar of yourself that that is li- like living on the paper, or do you know what I mean? Like having to separate like you now from the you. No, it just simply makes me feel like God. Mm-hmm. Like I'm able to, you know. Because you're creating a universe. Yeah, and it's living in some abstract way in different places. Sometimes I forget about that, and then when I think about it, it's overwhelming. Yeah, because it's like looking into mirrors infinitely or something. It's, yeah. Um, I had something to ask you about that. Looking into mirrors infinitely. It is a little bit, it's a weird, it's weird. Um, the thing we do is sometimes a little bit isolating and connecting at the same time. Like that thing. Or do you ever feel, does it ever feel weird like, um, I don't know if this happens for you, but for me, it's like talking about hard work, but then having to talk about it over and over and over again. It doesn't, I don't feel it anymore. Like there's things that people could ask me or ask about that I'm like, oh, that's too much. And that's none of your business. Or that gives me a feeling. But like talking about certain traumatic events that I've already drawn mm-hmm. and like going on a tour mm-hmm. of it, it just ends up that I'm like, I feel like I'm like trotting around my family trauma, but I don't actually have, like every time I'm talking about it, I don't have a connection to the feeling of how it felt when it happened. Yeah, right, because, yeah, once you start, once you're in a position where people are actually asking you about your work, yeah. um, you, it becomes performance. It's, it's performative, even, like, sitting here talking about it, because, oh, I don't know why, but you do create kind of a public persona that you know is is you but yeah I wonder about that I've been thinking about that who who the fuck am I who do people think I am <laughs> I, I think I don't like to think about that at all I don't like to think about how I'm seen we don't even have to if, you, if it trips you out too much no I, I don't I, <laughs> yeah. if the minute I think about like you know you're getting ready to give a talk right yeah so you're gonna like brush your hair and brush your teeth and put on some makeup and stuff Uh, but then if I actually think like 
people will be looking at me and I will be talking. Then I'm just like overwhelmed <laughs> with what? You know, so I almost like in my head, I kind of like, I, I retreat beyond the physical mm-hmm. and I am like all mind and my body is just incidental. And it's like, I try to, does this make any sense? That makes total sense. Like I, like it's almost, I don't know, like, you know, Michelle T and we've talked about it before and I can't remember what is, what is it called when you, like you kind of detach and, or like you, it's you not do. detachment. It's almost, but, what's it called when you, when it's like psychologically unhealthy and you leave your body and something traumatic's happening when you like, anyway, but it's like, right, a, yeah, well, it's literally yeah. like you just, I'm just like on with the show and it's just like a, Right, but tape. Well, kind of, but I always feel like I really want to be able to channel the deep things and try to explain them. I'm not incredibly articulate when I'm speaking, so I, you know, I nevertheless attempt to do that. I don't want to hide it, but I want my words to be words and not to be me as they leave me. I don't know. Well, I just wondered how it felt for you because you're talking about a book that came out a long time ago right. about things that happened even longer ago, right. and then it's having this resurgence of you having to talk about it again, right. even though you're working on totally different things right. because of the movie. Yeah. So do you have any like a t- feeling attached to that original experience that's like so far removed from now? Yeah, I was. I mean, if I think about it, about who I was... I had a broken heart. I didn't talk to many people about it. And my experiences as a teenager were overwhelming and and painful. And yet I kept looking for light, you know, within me or outside of me. Um... But I remember those feelings very well. And I've had them in other situations. Felt the same thing. I'm still the same person. You're listening to Sagittarian Matters with Nicole George. But does it matter to you that people relate your stories back to you? I mean, when have you ever read a book that you loved and got fixated on the author? I mean, the story is the thing. It, yeah. The, the author could be dead many years. Yeah. Like, I love, like, you know, Emil Zola or something. I don't know who the fuck he was, really, but those books just scream out to me and they feel alive, like, very alive, and, you know, you can feel like you're in that world. It's like, the author doesn't fucking matter in the end. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a tangential interest of the reader. But, you know, I don't want to be important. I mean, it's just me. Who gives a fuck? You know, I don't know. But you're like this, like, artistic, like, genius wizard writer person who just constructed this world, and then the main character looks like you. Because it's based <laughs> off of this thing that happened, and... It's, I, I can like I totally I'm not trying to I guess I'm not trying to harsh on kind people that read my work and get enthusiastic about it or people that read your work and feel enthusiastic about it and then want some, want to know something from you or want something from you but it's just it is a weird feeling to be that it for is for somebody yeah 
But then you can imagine, you know, okay, but yeah, you can imagine feeling the same way. Like, I saw Patti Smith, you know, I when I was like, you know, 17 or something, I saw her like in some small bar playing when that some album came out and she was yeah. like singing Gloria and all that kind of thing. but she was really young and, mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god who is this person right and and ever since then of course I've, I've loved Patti Smith fine yeah. and then last year she was like in Ann Arbor and and I I really wanted to get her book and just have her sign it or something yeah she wouldn't, you know, she was up there. Everybody wanted her to sign the book. And I was just hoping that, like, I could give her one of my books or something. I yeah. brought a book to give her. I just wanted to make some connection. Yeah. And she would not look anyone in the eye. She would not accept any gift that anyone was giving her. She wouldn't talk to anybody. It was just like she was down there taking books, signing them, didn't, signing them. Didn't. She wouldn't sign it to anybody. Oh. It was just an, a, like a signing machine. But then, if you looked at the situation, it was like there there were four hundred people. Yeah, you know. So how else is she going to do this? But but you you've done huge signings before. Well, so you know. I just got back from sitting at the comic book legal defense book table. I think I signed three. You know. It's no, like, no, yeah, yeah. Right. But um, so at any rate, there there wasn't that chance for a connection, and I felt really sad, even though I understood. Yeah. Someone just rang the doorbell. I didn't even know you had a doorbell. Yeah, I guess we do. And, um, so, but, but there's that desire for the connection with the thing that you love. And I, I always, I personally feel like it's like, my card isn't working, so. You have hi. to text? No. Yeah, they, when they gave you the Diane Newman just walked in, who's another cartoonist. It's actually a embarrassment of what is it called? An embarrassment of riches, a luxury that everyone's here at the same time. But it's kind of like it's such a pleasure to get the opportunity to live in the same time as people whose art you admire. So that connection is like special. I mean, you know, like say that I love some author who's long dead, or I'm listening to Elliot Smith or something. I'm like, oh, boohoo, he's dead. But like. It's so cool that you that you could be like I'm in the same room as Patty Smith. There's no reason why we shouldn't know each other, or she shouldn't read my book, or we shouldn't. She wouldn't have to be best friends, but like, right? She could know that you're but, an artist who also respects her work, right? But yeah. I feel the connection, yeah. But for me, she doesn't exist really because yeah. I don't exist for her, yeah. And you know, I have to understand that logically, yeah. Um, but nevertheless, you crave it, so I understand yeah. it, but yeah. I don't know what the fuck we're saying. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying, you know. Yeah, I know what you're Can saying. Can I touch you? Can I touch you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so me, me for real. You wrote that book? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, my God. Yeah. Oh my the God. T- I think it's people call it "Touch the Cape," like uh, yeah. for comic shows, right. like they yeah. want to touch the cape of whatever nerdy guy drew Superman or. Right. Um, we have a different question for you. Yeah. When we were in Chicago, you showed a slide, and it was of your hand. It was a slide with your hand. Yeah. And there was a hole in your hand, and it looked like like a desert canyon. In your hand. Can you talk about that image? Sure. sure what that sure. is? That image. And what it represents? Yes. Somehow I was working on something else. And um, in this book I'm working on right now, there's a particular place, a mountain, which I'm kind of obsessed with for a lot of reasons. But And I didn't know why. And I didn't know what I would do with that. And I've taken millions of pictures from millions of vantage points, and I walked over that mountain, and it's bisected by the the borderline, and I don't know. Um, 
you know, it's just at that time. It's okay. Um, very uh, frustrated because I was teaching and I was like had kids and getting divorced and my cats and you know everything else. And so I kept going to my studio, trying to work and looking at everything, looking at all the parts and just feeling like I didn't know how they fit together. And then um, I looked at this one picture and it was an insect hole in this mountain. And I looked at my hand and I just felt like... um, these got to go together but I think my feeling about it was I need to be there I need to fall into this I need to disappear (laughs) into this other world and so that image to me is kind of this portal to this other world that I want so badly to define in my work and that's like a way into it. I guess it's just. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of, yeah. 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 It would seem like seem like you were like you have so much frustration around having to like do all these other things instead of the one art project that you wish you could just fall into. Right. My struggle in life has always been um, reducing distraction. I I'm not. You know, I don't think in a very linear way, and I can easily go off on tangents and or get distracted by things I see. Where all along I really want to, you know, work on this thing that that has a thrust and a movement, but sometimes I just get lost on other little rivulets like that feed into it or lead out of it, and so always my struggle, mind Kampf is you know to to refocus and get into that zone where there's nothing else except what's in front of me mm-hmm. yeah mm. Mm. I wish that for you thank you so much you're welcome yes mm-hmm. cartoonists feel like you always have to have something else going on because comics doesn't pay that well right really not at all in real life no. in terms of things like and you're like raising kids and like right you can't just be like, you wear a bear on suspenders, I'm going to do a syndicated comic strip. Right, and I'm pretty positive, like, for example, I think you probably have made much more money on your books than I have. That I would, would be a crime. I would, no, I would, I would cry I'm if that was the pretty case. pretty much positive, yeah. So, um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, did I make a bad contract, did I do this or did I do that, was I unknown at the time, and blah, blah, blah. But nevertheless, um, I'm really glad. I mean, because I see it all the time now. I see, like, younger cartoons like Ariel and everything actually getting, like, real advances and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel really happy about that. But then I wonder, you know, is there any way I can make money in my life so I don't have to have all these distractions? And I don't know if I ever can. It's like I wonder about that. I was trying to sell my artwork because I never had, and I realized that in order to make any difference in my life, I would have to sell it, you know, pretty good prices, you know. And I was looking at the prices of other people's work, mm-hmm. you know, what they ask for on the web or on sites, and I was wondering how could I possibly do that, or or who would ever buy it, and 
Um, I don't know. It's kind of sad because Alvin Buenaventura mm-hmm. was gonna was very excited. He was gonna help me sell this stuff, mm-hmm. and he knew people who, you know, would would spend money on it. Yeah, and um, and he had those connections, and yeah, and then he killed himself. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, we were kind of still talking about stuff, and and then I thought, well, maybe it's not just it's just not meant to be. Maybe I'm just hmm. Do you think it's the? I mean, <laughs> I, I. If you want to leave it at the universe, I respect. But I also think yeah. there's probably people in his in his ilk that could help you in that way. If you want, I mean, like, yeah, Linda Berry had that big auction of all of her of a bunch of stuff. But she's famous. I mean, but you're like, famous. I'm not not like really. That. I mean, you can't feel it every day, but it's true. No, but famous in honestly in a very small. I mean, Linda, you know, is visible, like, nationally or internationally. She's She has had Daily Strip or whatever, mm-hmm. and she's very this and, you know, had lots of books. I mean, mm-hmm. I had relatively few books. I've never had anything published daily or weekly. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, and plus my, my publisher... Is, has not was not a comic book publisher, mm-hmm. and so I never they were never visible at conventions or mm-hmm. anything else. So I'm, I've always somehow been on the fringe of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky that I've gotten the attention I did because I think if you look at my tra- trajectory, the the chances are because I didn't have certain connections, but I had others. I'm lucky that I've gotten this far. I, I don't know how it happened. Yeah. I think it's just your talent. Like it just like your publisher could be like a like a math textbook publisher, like a your publisher could it have were. been like a like a freaking like uh, what is that gum like that gum with jokes <laughs> like jokes bazooka? like you could have bazooka Joe as your publisher, and I think that you're so talented that people would <laughs> still be like, "Have you seen this? <laughs> Look at this?" Because I just I mean I'm not trying to like be like mm, like petting you, but like right. I just. I just feel like it's true from my perspective, from where I sit on the couch bed, is that like your stuff doesn't look like anyone else's stuff. And your books, like I never read something in that format that was like that. I've never seen anything really done that well like that ever since. So that's why I'm like, you know, like said like a chick tract could have come out of your life story that you drew and I would be like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. But I, see, I you know. think that has always also worked against me, the fact that like the formats I choose or develop in the course of things are different. So like the Diary of a Teenage Girl, it's kind of a hybrid. It's like when it came out, I mean, it wasn't reviewed by the Comics Journal for like almost two years. And a comic book store didn't know what to do with it because it wasn't exactly a comic. Yeah. And then it, when it went into regular bookstores, it, it wasn't a novel, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah. So it kind of got lost, and at least that was my impression. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I think it's like a your weird blessing and curse at the same time. I mean, like, yeah. like I was just talking to someone about Justin Hall who had voted for the Ignatz Award or was on the jury. When Fun Home came out, it wasn't. It did not win the Ignatz Award. Right. Like it was, like, like what came out that year that was better than Fun Home? I'm so sorry to whoever won, but nothing. Like right. that's actually impossible. And then the people on the jury were comic dudes who just didn't know 
or hadn't paid attention to Alison Bechdel's work. So they were just like, I don't know. Like, yeah, so they looked at the things that they knew. Or, yeah. Right. There's something yeah. about familiarity. But I don't, I don't mean to just, I mean, no. go on. But the fact is, okay, I yeah. feel very lucky. Yeah. I feel really lucky. And I don't know. I'm looking at a question while you're saying this. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm trying to, I don't even remember what I was going to say. We have to mention the movie because it seems like I would probably get assassinated if I talked to you and didn't. Okay. Talk about the movie. Uh, there's a movie. There's a movie. There's a movie. Did you uh, have, when the movie got started, did you have to, were you precious about the story or did you have to be like, okay, the story exists as this book and it will always be this book and the movie will be a separate animal? Or did they feel intrinsically linked? Like, I want this movie to be really good because it is still my story. No, I wanted it to be really good and I wanted it. I mean, it is really good. Okay, just well, but if it, yeah. yeah. No, of course, I, you know, um, I've been approached by a few directors, and I, you know, in the end, I felt like they weren't going to, they were taking the story as a starting point and making something different, or, you know, anyway, I didn't, not that I would, you know, different, I mean, it could have been a good movie, but it wasn't, I don't know. Like, they, I, somebody wanted... Minnie to get married yeah, to one, Monroe at the end of Exactly, it. right. Which so, is so crazy. It was crazy, but it, yeah. So it would have been a case of using something as inspiration but not really expressing that same story. So um, the director, Marielle Heller, mm -hmm. <laughs> approached me. She was young. She was in her 20s and she had never directed anything. And she came to me and told me the story of how she got the book for Christmas from her sister and she just was, you know, obsessed with it and had practically memorized it and mm -hmm. she wanted to do a play. And by that point, I was like, you want to do a play? Um, I was just kind of shocked because I was confused. I, I When she said that, I remember thinking, that's ridiculous. There's, that's ridiculous. Um, I couldn't see it. I, I don't often see plays. And I'm like too like hyper to like sit down. I get impatient. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it doesn't, I'm not a good viewer of plays because physically I just don't like sitting there. Yeah. And, um, I guess that's the reason why. Anyway, so I said, <laughs> I just said, are you serious? I mean, well, knock yourself out. Mm -hmm. And so I gave her permission to do that. And also, there wasn't much of a risk because, you know, plays have a certain life. If they are ever developed and produced, actually, they have a certain life. And a film is different. It, like, exists, like, forever. Yeah. It's like, you know, whether good or bad, right? Yeah. So it didn't seem like it was there was really much risk to this. Yeah. So I said yes. And the play was really good. Um so anyway, the the process of getting it from that point to film, it really took like eight years. Yeah. And by the time I actually signed the option, when they, she actually got enough money to make the film, um, I'd known her for a long time, and we had a relationship, and I trusted her, and there was no way I could have said no, mm -hmm. you know? So... I felt comfortable. I think she did a beautiful job. Yeah, me too. It was really beautiful. Yeah. And I liked the animations. 
Yeah, me too. Yeah. Sometimes going into a movie, I'm like, oh god, there's gonna be animations. Yeah. Like I feel nervous. Yeah, yeah. But it it worked great. I thought it was really, really beautiful. Yeah, and I love that animator too. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Sarah Gunderstuber. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think I have anything else to say because also I have to make you let you go to your women's comics panel things. Oh, that's that's my that's my. Horn I just hired to tell us that it was time to go. Okay. Thank you for talking to me You're for very, my podcast. You're very welcome, Nicole. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Fun Home to my students uh-huh. and I've like seen the play Fun Home and I fucking love it and I just have been having this experience again and again with that book uh-huh. but I just wanted I was like there's never going to be a moment again in her life where Alison Bechdel gets to talk to somebody and naturally say oh my father was gay and he killed himself Yeah, like she's never going to be able to tell somebody that without them already knowing right but on the other hand I could tell someone that my father was gay and he killed himself and reap all the benefit of their reaction and then say, psych. <laughs> um, gotcha. That's, that's a story right. of a Tony Award winning play. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, you know. That's all. Do you ever have that feeling where you never get, you never get, you're never going to get that moment where you get to be like, this crazy thing happened to me when I was a teenager. Right, but I don't want that. I really don't want that to be the definition of No, that. no. I mean, it's not my definition of myself. I mean, it's no. not how I experience myself. I'm not constantly reliving that. I don't even, you know, it's like I just like, you know, I don't know. My life is like more like, hey, Nicole's here. I can't believe it. She's talking to me and she has that face that makes people talk to her. Have I been seduced? You know, it's like, you know, why are we here? Yeah, like, so. I'm stopping recording. I just wanted to say that thing.